Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. We hope you're doing well. We want to welcome all of those of you from around the United States and around the, the, the world that download our material. We pray that our, our teaching blesses you uh, and that it uplifts you. Today, we're going to teach on a most misunderstood topic. When does one receive the works and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? This is very critical. It's critical understanding for the church. I hope you'll follow along with me today. We want to welcome you again and encourage you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com. FFCMA.org or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Don't want to forget my book, I Surrender, available on Amazon or at your local bookstore. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. Then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us and reveal to us what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. We will sanctify ourselves, yield ourselves, and surrender ourselves to your word. Then we will receive it and reveal it to your people, and we will be blessed. We love you and praise you for it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man, and the Godhead. Amen and amen. We're going to begin today with Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So the question that's relevant to the church world today is this. Did we receive Jesus when we got saved or did we receive the Holy Spirit? Now, I think we all would agree that we received Jesus. But some believe that upon being saved they received all of the Holy Spirit that they will ever need. So the answer to the question, of course, is we receive both. But as we are going to see uh, as we study Ephesians 4-7, uh, what both really means. Now some believe that the Holy Spirit has to be sought and waited for. Some believe that the process of sanctification must be completed prior to the acts of the Holy Spirit manifesting. I'm sure there are many other ideas concerning the work and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But as I mentioned a moment ago, the short answer to my initial question is we receive both. However, with respect to the operation of the Spirit, we received Him, the Holy Spirit, as He revealed Jesus Christ and the actions of Jesus Christ, as they were revealed to us, we received the Holy Spirit. His role, the Holy Spirit's role, initially was to reproduce the actions of Jesus in us. There will come a time in the grand design of God when Jesus will reveal the Holy Spirit to man. But the process of God must be followed and understood to bring us to that point in the plan of God. 
Today I'm going to share with you the process concerning the grand design of God for the provision of the works and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen for the believer due to a three-part distribution. The first part is going to be the action completed by Jesus Christ. This will trigger the second part, which is the operation that is associated with salvation. Then the third part is how the Holy Spirit reproduces these acts in the lives of those who believe. In this three-part harmony, when completed, when it completes the work in the lives of the believer, it verifies the acts that are accomplished by Jesus Christ and the work of the salvation of God that is reproduced in the life of the believer. So what's the process that a believer encounters as he is undergoing the simultaneous works that include the actions by Jesus which releases grace and the blood, the actions then being reproduced in the believer by the Holy Spirit, and the subsequent correlation of the plan of salvation? Well, it all begins with an event that I refer to as having catalytic effects. And that event begins with the cross. Before we go into this process, allow me to share a scripture from Habakkuk 3.13. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people, even the salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation under the neck. Selah. What we're going to see as we progress through this teaching is precisely how the plan of God using Yeshua and the Holy Spirit to provide salvation that was so intense that it laid bare and made by the force of its process the work of the enemy to be naked and uncovered and demolished. Now in Ephesians 4 we see something that must be understood. The gift of grace is equal to the measure of the gift of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Measure means portion. So as we apply grace to the portion of the things that Jesus accomplished, we then receive a portion of his work when we identify the actions and identify with the actions of Jesus. And of course, we then proceed to trace his steps all the way from the cross to the Godhead. In each step, there is a portion, a measure of his accomplishment revealed. It cannot be all because we see at least six steps that are associated with the measure of the gift of Christ. My friend, understanding this is essential. Why is that? Because if we're to live in the measure of the portion of the stature of Christ Jesus, we must follow him step by step in his journey. If we fail to do so, we will stop in places that do not because they cannot reflect the full stature of Christ. Someone would say, well, any of Christ is better than none of Christ. Although there is truth in this statement, this was not God's plan for man. Neither was it God's plan for man to experience the life 
of being more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. Neither was it God's plan for man to stop along the way if he were going to experience the life of being more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. If we stop growing, if we stop following, and we stop imitating Christ, we leave ourselves in a most vulnerable position with respect to the ability of what the devil can do and the doors that we have opened for the devil to be able to attack us. Remember, the work that Jesus was due, would do was to be absolutely complete with respect to how it would impact the head of the house of the wicked. So concerning this impact, there can be no doubt. However, man becomes the wild card in this equation. What will man do with the actions of Jesus? How will man perceive the actions of Jesus? And how will man be able to identify with those actions? These have been the issues that the church has dealt with in excess over the years. We have, through our teaching, produced a disrupted and disjointed message of the gospel that stunted the growth of the people and confused them as well. You would say, how can this be? Well, we never truly rightly divided the word of truth with respect to the actions of Jesus Christ, the operations of the Holy Spirit, and the plan of salvation. What was the result? Well, of course, we see it today. We see a weak and beggarly people who live in the paltry side of their spiritual lives. They are people that are more focused on the earthly things than the spiritual things. And there's a reason for that. Because most of our teaching has left the church with the only earthly thing that Jesus did, and that is the cross. So having said that, let's begin by looking at the cross. In the cross, there was the death of a perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice was put upon with the sin of the world. He was made to be sin, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. So there was a force that was placed upon him in such a way that the sin and the guilt of the world was encapsulated in his person. This was so that the sacrifice, being spotless, could take the sin of the world and once and for all not only bear it, but be sacrificed while carrying that sin. In so doing, Jesus would bear it for man and relieve man of its bondage. As Jesus did so, the plan of salvation was revealed. Man could be healed from sin by being forgiven of the inherent state of sin that had come through original sin. Healing then was the first step or phase of the divine plan of God for the redemption of mankind. Grace, now, is released into the world as the blood of the perfect sacrifice sheds his blood and dies upon the cross. 
When grace is released at the cross, it's released in the form of favor. Man who has been caught in the struggle concerning sin has received an avenue to have sin abolished. Grace is revealed here, and when formed with the blood causes an interaction that begins between man and the action that's been produced by Jesus, of course, his sacrifice on the cross. The Holy Spirit now begins to reprove man by convicting man of his relationship to sin. Man chooses to receive that reproof or not to receive that reproof. If he receives that reproof, man becomes convinced that the action that Jesus has done to be free from sin is not only true, but is real. Man then can believe upon the action of Jesus and receive the plan of salvation for the healing of the Spirit. The new birth is established as the Holy Spirit reproduces the condition of man in his inner man that was present with God when God created man in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This reproduction is the first work of the Holy Spirit that is coordinated with the action of Jesus. It is the revelation of action done by Jesus that the Holy Spirit is charged to reproduce in those who express belief in the action completed. Now we can trace this action and reproduction all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. As the Son of God spoke, produced an action, the Holy Spirit then reproduced perfectly the picture of the thing that the Son of God produced. And earth was created in all of its fullness. So we know, based on Scripture, that an action and a reproduction is the way they operate. So here we see that this reproduction is a reproduction of the healing of the spirit of man. Man is, due to this coordinated effort, brought into communion with God. Now the question is, is this all that the Holy Spirit is responsible for with respect to the actions of Jesus? We could say that if this were all, we could make that comment if this were all that Jesus did. But the cross was not the only action that Jesus completed. It was the last earthly action to which man in his earthly condition can see. The rest of the works that apply to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the plan of salvation are conducted in the spirit world and out of the sight of man. Now we can see, based on just what I've said, why the world is so attached to earthly things. Because for most Christian people, they have come to the cross and they have remained at the cross because the cross being the earthly thing that they saw and the work that was done there freed them from sin. And the response in them was that they were able to commune with God, their inner man, 
had begun to commune with God. But if we remain only in the grace of favor, then we've never dissolved our earthly thing, as Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5. The earthly thing must be dissolved, my friends. That's why Jesus went from doing the earthly thing to operations in the spirit world. Let's move along. For this reason, the scripture states that we walk by faith and not by sight. Unfortunately, we live in a world that wants to remain in the sight of the earthly thing. Those who place their spiritual lives in the cross and the cross alone are unaware that they're walking by sight. Why is this? Because they cling to the earthly thing. They hold on to and rely upon the thing that the earthly could see. In so doing, they neglect the actions of Jesus and they remain attached to the things of the world because the cross is the only place where forgiveness and healing for sin is completed. We must not miss this. If we do, we'll live a life that has no spiritual death and that struggles constantly and consistently with sin. Now we know because of the way the word of God is taught that there is greater grace, there is more grace, and there was Paul that said in Romans 12, by the grace that is given to me, which tells me that Paul had lived and operated in a much deeper grace than those to whom he was making that comment, there is a place in grace that we can go that is a most much deeper perspective of grace than just favor. However, we have concluded in our religious, I should say Christian teaching, that in the cross we got all of the Holy Spirit we ever needed. And so we live our life encompassed by favor, which leads us to one of two perspectives. The first perspective is that we live from Forgiveness and healing on over into a new sin of some sort that brings shame and guilt and then back to forgiveness and healing. The cycle of those that remain in the earthly thing. And favor is our constant term. Or we live in the once in grace, always in grace mantra. That says that because of the cross, we're saved. And what we do in the process, grace overruns it and overrides it. And so that favor that we have found in the cross is all we'll ever need. And we give this perspective that we can live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, think like the world, but grace because of what we found in the earthly thing, will see us through. Should we remain in the action, my friend? That's the question. Was it the plan of God for us to remain in the action of the cross or the cross alone? Now, we'll never understand the formation of grace in the blood and how they serve to form Christ in you unless you see the actions of Jesus 
and you are able to see the constitution of what grace and the blood have been produced and provided for you to accomplish in your spiritual life. We must correlate grace and the blood with the effects of salvation and then allow the Holy Spirit to reproduce the actions of Jesus in our spirit and our inner man. Now, if we remain at the cross and the grace of the cross, we will in fact have received all of the Holy Spirit we will ever get. But my friend, that was never the plan of God. Because as I unfold this for you, you're going to see a plan of God that unveils and unravels the spirit world, the actions of Jesus Christ in portion, along with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. If we want to live in all of the Holy Spirit that the cross will ever give us, let me tell you what he's going to reproduce in you. Forgiveness. Time and time and time again. You're going to have to be living in that cycle of forgiveness. The cycle of, of spirit healing. Which the writer of the book of Hebrews said puts us in the capacity where we crucify Christ afresh. So we don't want to live in that. Because we do not want to be those that are crucifying Christ because we refuse. Now listen to what I just said. We refuse to grow in grace, to go into greater grace and more grace and understand what God has designed through the plan of salvation for you and me. Now if you don't remember, I will tell you. I've already mentioned one of the plans of salvation that was healing. We're going to see salvation unfold in six parts. We're going to correlate healing, preservation, deliverance, safety, soundness, and wholeness, all out of the works of Jesus Christ. We're going to bring that into perspective with what Jesus did, the actions of Jesus. Now remember, salvation was given to you so that that salvation could operate in you to wound the house of the wicked and discover the foundation under the neck. Now that's, that's pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? We know that there is a deeper perspective of grace. We know that. And we should know that because there is a deeper perspective of grace, there must be more to it than the action that Jesus took on the cross, the healing that salvation produced, and the reproduction that, that the Holy Ghost produced in you. We have to correlate the effects of salvation and allow the Holy Spirit to do the reproduction of Jesus' action in our inner man. So Jesus has died. Healing through forgiveness has been revealed by belief in grace and the blood. The Holy Ghost has done his work of reproving and now he is reproducing in you a new spirit. That new spirit has happened in your inner man. 
If that is what the cross has done, those three phases, three dimensions, then my friend, the cross has been more than successful. Now you may use the cross again. You may use the cross again. For you have an advocate with the Father through Jesus Christ the righteous. You may use the cross should you slip into sin. But you must not stay at the cross. Because if you stay at the cross, you will use it over and over and over because you will find no structure in your spiritual development to move away from it. And sin will rule. Sin will take root in you. And you will consistently deal with it. But man now has a next step, my friends. And that step has to be encountered. What do we do? We follow Jesus on his next journey. He is now dead. And they have wrapped him in burial clothes to take him to the tomb. Here he is laid in the tomb. I want you to get this. The door is shut. From this point on, everything that's about to occur for mankind will only be done in the spirit world. It will no longer be done in the earthly. It will no longer be done where man looked on. It will be done in the spirit world because it is in the spirit world that you are going to be absolutely, totally transformed. Man will no longer see the next stages of the development of the actions of Jesus. The reproduction of these actions by the Holy Spirit or how they relate to you in the plan of salvation. Through it all, the common denominators for you and me are grace and the blood. As these actions will reveal the transformation of the believer. You will no longer walk by sight but you will walk by faith. You will walk by faith in what you have seen and heard and know about where Jesus went in the spirit world. These are his actions. You will walk by faith in the fact that the Holy Ghost is reproducing in you the actions of Jesus Christ. And you will walk by faith in the fact that salvation has been revealed to you by one of the six words that make up the foundation of what salvation is to the believer. Now in the tomb lays the fleshy body of a man that was ravaged by sin. The action of Jesus is to bury the thing that carries the sin. So his flesh is never seen again in any way, shape or form. Now watch it now. That resembled the flesh that was ravaged by sin. Of course, the results of the scars in his body remain, but the flesh that bore the sin was never seen again. Jesus was laid in the tomb without one bone being broken. This is very significant information because it tells us two things. Number one, Jesus' inner man, his spirit was intact. Number two, his flesh could be buried and his spirit man could be regenerated. Why is this important? Because of the Holy Spirit is going to reproduce the work of Jesus in the believer. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, 
but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here you see Paul. Paul is reflecting in himself as being dead or crucified with Christ. But having been crucified, he is yet living. So Paul understood what had happened in the tomb. His flesh man had been buried with Jesus and he was going to be raised with Jesus as a new man. All of Paul's teaching described this work. So in the tomb, the flesh is to not only die, but it is to fall off. Man is to experience a deeper expression of grace and a deeper expression of the blood that would be formed in man because of the tomb. They would cleanse him or her from the sin that was had embraced and been embraced by their flesh, and that flesh was to die. He was to take the grace of influence and be transformed. The Holy Spirit was to reproduce the death of the flesh in the believer. The believer was to no longer be a servant to the things that we know the flesh consists of, pride, lust. If we stop here, what have we accomplished? Well, we've been saved, and we've exercised the idea of dying to the flesh. We've designated the understanding of a concept concerning spiritual things, but we've not pursued the required steps to ensure that it occurs. Now we can talk about being saved and baptized, but unless we move on with Christ, we have no assurance that these things have happened, and as a matter of fact, the common things that the enemy uses against us is just going to continue. Why? Our flesh is going to continue to crop up because we have not followed the steps of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to get this because I'm about to close this session. The first measure of what Jesus Christ did was healing, forgiveness, the plan of salvation. The second measure was the death of the flesh, but the preservation of the spirit man. So we see the first two parts of salvation exposed in the cross and the tomb. Now, in these two portions, the Holy Ghost has worked. He's worked to reproduce now forgiveness and healing in the spirit of man. He's worked to reproduce, to die the flesh, but yet preserve what has been born again in the tomb. Now, at this point, however, there must come more of the measure of the gift of Christ Jesus. There's more portionally to be added to our faith walk than just being saved and having our flesh die. There's more to it, my friends. And we must come to that understanding because until we come to that understanding, we cannot live as more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus because we have not been to the places to where Christ Jesus has gone. I'm going to teach you that through this, this series. Now I want to close by saying this for this session. 
The work of the Holy Ghost began at the cross. It did not stop at the cross. Because as Jesus produces a new portion in each of the events that followed the cross, the Holy Ghost was also producing a new portion. And in that new portion of the Holy Spirit's reproduction, out of it came the salvation of God. And it was from that portion that the wicked, the house of the wicked's head began to be discovered from the neck to the foundation. But unless we go through the portions, the measures, the fullness, and take grace to its nth degree, we have not concluded the plan of salvation, therefore, we have not wounded the head of the house of the wicked nor have we discovered him from the foundation to the neck. We must go where Jesus went. Father, I praise you for the word of God. Bless your people and give us grace. Combine it with blood and form it in us until we can have the full measure of the stature of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, find him as Lord. There you'll find him where you can take every piece of plunder. Lay it, give it to him, and he will exalt himself over it until their knee bows. Then find him as the man in the Godhead. There he will reveal to you things that you need to know that will show you great things to come. God bless you until we speak again.